but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> David, for years we've been saying that uh, one of the measures of a quality of an aircraft is whether or not David would fly it. Um, <laughs> and now we've got... Weather. No, 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 no. We've been saying that's the quality of David, yeah, okay. not the quality of the aircraft. Well, yeah, it's a, but it's, yeah, okay, it's a, it's a two-way measure. It's true. It's true. But now we seem to be applying this to, uh, to, to the, whether the application of a drone is reasonable. David, you seem to have found an application of drones that, that you approve of. Well, what's this all about? Oh, this is from Iceland of Iceland. all places. Yeah, well, no, they're, yeah. they're they're cool people up in Iceland. I, well, that's a bad pun, but uh, they're 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 you know happening ple- people up in, yeah. in Iceland. Yeah. Oh, I've been been to Reykjavik a couple of times. Uh-huh. It's a, a, a beautiful place, mm-hmm. uh, and no better place I've ever visited for seafood selection on the restaurant menus. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's an outfit called Aha in uh, Reykjavik has yeah. partnered with a company called Flytrex and they've developed a delivery system so that you can get sushi delivered to your house or office in four minutes. With a drone? Yeah. So uh, how does this work? This is like, does it, you know, so let's say it's your house. Does it, how, do, how does it know where your house is? So how does this work? Well, just like most of the rest of the world, Reykjavik has addresses and latitude and longitude <laughs> information. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the the news story that we're looking at here says um, the customers still need to go and collect their product from the landing site. Right. So okay. there's a there's, apparently there's a specific landing site, um, or or sites. So there are uh, so there are predefined need- LZs in, uh, in right. every neighborhood right. probably. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least in Iceland, the sushi will still be cool. Okay. You know, when it arrives. Yeah, but sometimes, well, yeah, I guess you do want the sushi to be cool. Um, I, you know, so this is okay, David. If they, so there's a nice little park. There's a nice little park sort of diagonally across the street from your house, David. All right. And uh, you would be okay with the drone delivering the sushi to that park. Or f- Yeah. Yeah. The delivery time that they're talking about is compared to road travel. Uh, because they offer delivery all over Reykjavik for for different kinds of foods, uh, so it takes them a little while to prep the uh, the sushi mm-hmm. to make the sushi, and then once that's done, and they put it on the drone within their delivery range, nothing's farther than about four minutes. Okay, and does it say? I'm not actually looking at the article, but does it say whether or not? Are these things just remotely piloted? They're not autonomous, are they? They don't like give the drone an address and say, "Go." I'm pretty sure it's autonomous. Really? I think it's autonomous. Yeah, and, and because is- if you look at the photographs, you'll notice that there are three count them three antenna that look like suspiciously like GPS antenna wow. on on posts that extend above the rotor arc. For the multiple motors, and I think this is a six rotor drone that they show in the picture. Right, it's a DJI Matrix Six Hundred mm-hmm. with some modifications, and it can carry about seven pounds. Yeah, and, that's enough and, sushi to get us started. What if you need more wasabi? <laughs> I think you should just express that interest when you make the order. Extra wasabi, please, and don't 
Don't don't be shy about the pickled ginger. Okay, it doesn't get any better than that. Welcome, folks. To and now I'm now I'm bloody hungry. I know. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from uh, beautiful fall weather uh, uh, from high atop. I keep forgetting. See, I used to do this naturally, and now I don't know why I keep forgetting. Coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful uh, fall the weather has arrived, uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire, uh, where the uh, it's it's just uh, during the uh, we were chatting before we started. Our recording day was coming about the weather in in uh, in uh, Wichita, and it's and it's it's nicely cool here too. It's uh, the summer humidity and whatnot is gone, and uh, it's um, it's turned nice here in New Hampshire. But it's a uh, but they had not only freezing temperatures, but they actually had snow on top of Mount Washington up in uh, North Central uh, New Hampshire earlier this week. So, huh. so oh hell, they have snow on Mount Washington almost year around. Well, not quite, but yeah, I take your point. Okay. So, uh, and you're talking to my, my three good, my three good, my two good friends, uh, in our virtual hangar. Uh, uh, that's Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from uh, somewhere near, no, actually, actually in Wichita, Kansas. This is not starting out well for me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hi, David. Have you done this before? Jack, have you done this before? Apparently not. Apparently not. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Well, I'm sharpening my chopsticks for dinner tonight. Uh, yeah, all after, of a sudden, after the sushi I, I conversation. I yeah, all of a sudden, I think I know what I'm going to do for dinner tonight. Uh, yeah. uh, absolutely, yeah. Maybe we should all we should a bit we should of, we should plan it so that we can all get on you know like on some sort of chat thing at the same time and and virtually have sushi together. How's that? It's it's doable. Yeah, it sounds complicated. Yeah. Well, but you know, good things usually are. David, what's going on out there? You're uh, you, you said the weather's kind of turned nicely fall like. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the, the leaves haven't started turning yet, but we're getting uh, overnight temps in the low fifties, and uh, it didn't even hit eighty at my place here yesterday, and uh, uncharacteristically light winds and. Uh, and the uh, bluefin tuna are running, so I'm going to hit sushi tonight. <laughs> the uh, yeah, the fall colors are a little bit late arriving here in New Hampshire as well. At least in in my area here, it's only just vague. And 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 we 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 didn't get inundated with any weather from uh, Harvey, and we're far out of the line of uh, fire for uh, Irma. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 shouting out to all of our friends in Florida and along the coast, we're glad to hear that you guys are battening down and and getting ready for this record storm that's headed your way. Particularly yeah. our buddy Shawbetter, uh, Dave's been busy building a new place down on Key Largo, and he's gotten it battened down and prepared for the weather. So uh, yeah. be safe, everybody. Speaking yeah, of which, a, my other good a, friend here in our virtual hangar is. Uh, Coming from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, in uh, where in Florida, where the weather is always beautiful. Yeah, and coming from is a good good way to put it. Jeb Burnside, uh, <laughs> how are you doing this morning, Jeb? I'm uh, spiffy. May you live um, an interesting life, huh? It's uh, there. You go. There you go. Um, it is what it is. Um, uh, I'm sure we'll uh, um, 
uh, well, I don't, I don't know what is going to make the final cut here on this episode, but, uh, yeah, plan A is to bug out of here either first thing Saturday morning or last thing yeah. tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, so you are. Uh, uh, yeah. Long-time listeners will have heard you talk about the hurricane subject ever since you moved to Florida um, back in the uh-huh. early days of this podcast. And, and you always talked about the idea of that uh, worse comes to worse, you'd get in the airplane and go away. And you've never exactly. had occasion to need to do that in, exactly. in, what, nine? How long have you been down there? Ten years? I have nine? been there. I've been here 10 years yeah. uh, Labor as of Labor Day. Oh, hey, congratulations. So it's a recent, yeah. Well, yeah, then they're throwing yeah. you a party, apparently, because... They're, they're well, it's my, the, you know, they're finally throwing me a welcome party. Yeah. So they, you, they being whoever they are. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah, so you're you're going to mount up and, and, and head north and find someplace high and dry, um, or at least exactly. high. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. What else is going on otherwise, Jeb? I mean, that's, that's a pretty big thing. That's pretty much that's, probably that's got enough. your attention. But. That's enough. But I uh, finished up uh, the October issue of Aviation Safety. Uh, so there won't be any delay in that. Good, glad. There won't be any delay. won't be any complications. Um, Although I suppose it depends on where it's printed. But, I, yeah, okay. It's uh, printed in, I think, Michigan. So, yeah, okay. I don't think there's an issue there. Good there, okay. Um, yeah. So that's all good. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, you know, just looking forward to... Uh, Battening down the hatches, as it were, yep. and um, um, picking a place to go and, and doing it. Yeah. And for listeners who may have seen pictures of your champ parked in your front yard, you've actually found a hangar to stash it away in. Yeah, there's, there, it's hangered, and uh, double check on it to make sure that uh, uh, everything's copacetic there. I don't know the, the hangar owner, I don't know what his plans are um, to. Um, uh, bug out or secure his house or anything like that. So I just want to kind of touch base with him. Um, but otherwise, um, um, I don't anticipate really a whole lot of complications. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck to you, and we'll uh, look forward to a report Thank you. Um, next Thank time you. we record. But, uh, um, you know, I'm, I, it sounds like you've got a good plan. And, uh, <laughs> well. What else? But speaking of hurricane damage, um, and I confess that I, I don't have I don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering if either of you guys have been following what kind of damage there was to the GA world in Texas. Um, it, I, I know I've I know I've been seeing stories from time to time about GA being used in the recovery effort. Um, a lot of uh, GA aircraft have been shuttling supplies and people here and there and to and fro, and that's one of the great values of of GA that that doesn't get a lot of recognition most of the time. But uh, saw it a lot in in earthquake situations out in West Coast. Um, but it seems likely to me that a lot of GA equipment got hurt during Harvey. Have you heard stories? I've seen some pictures. I've not seen any any comprehensive coverage, uh, but I've seen pictures of um, let's just say destroyed airplanes and destroyed yeah. hangars and uh, um, flooded aircraft ramps, parking areas, things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how uh, apocryphal those are. I don't know how. Um, widespread those are and i don't know you know um i don't have any anything to, against which to compare uh, yeah uh, there were definitely a few hoax pictures 
um, making yeah. the rounds of uh, of uh, flooding damage at airports, um, and 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 at least a couple. Of, I mean, there certainly was some damage. A couple of the more extreme examples of these images turned out to be hoaxes. But uh, but holy moly, um, the two major airports in Houston closed for multiple days. Um, really? You know, I had been there like three weeks or so earlier. I I, I flew in and out or I, in and out of um, um, uh, George Bush Airport there, and. Uh, um, to think that an airport of that size would just plain be closed for days is, yeah. is, is yeah. David, what do you hear about GA damage in Texas? Well, there's some uh, flipped over planes, some damaged hangars. Uh, a lot of people tried to get out of the line of fire with their airplanes and move them up to uh, uh, Oklahoma and uh, over to uh, New Mexico and uh, they stay out a lot of fire. But Houston Hobby and Bush, they had a couple of feet of water on the runway. Yeah. yeah. Which makes taxiing and takeoff really difficult unless you're in a float plane. A little bit. Uh, a little bit. And, my, and it's, with Irma bearing down on it, I mentioned before we started uh, recording that uh, I got a note from Avidyne, and my first thought was uh, they're closing uh, they're closing on uh, September 8th and Monday, September 11th, and I'm thinking, boy, they're really planning on that storm rolling into Massachusetts. I completely forgot that they have a manufacturing and support facility in Melbourne, Florida. Uh-huh. Of course, they're getting the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah. Melbourne's definitely in the on the center line there of what they're currently showing as being the track. Yeah, so, so it's uh, kind of on the same latitude as uh, as Jeb. So, yeah, uh, and and a lot a lot closer to the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I guess owning a GA airplane in these kinds of situations is a mixed blessing because it certainly gives you options to escape. But if you make the wrong choice. The damage can be pretty sad, I guess, and um, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, you you got to do what you got to do, obviously. Yeah. But um, um, yeah. Well, anyways, um, you know, I, I don't know what to say. It's we're we're, we're, we're hoping. Yeah, we're yeah. hoping it's not on the scale of Hurricane Andrew, but very much so. It, it's in that category. It's it could well be, man. The the, the forecasts yeah. right now have this thing going straight over the top of Miami and up the coast. This could mm-hmm. get just seriously ugly. Um, I remember the pictures. Was it Andrew where um, um, was it Homestead got totally wiped out? It was like yeah, you know, oh, Homestead yeah. from Andrew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, those were very very sad pictures. What was the date of that? When when was Andrew? I, 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 it was either ninety or ninety two. I forget which. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting times, huh? Yeah, interesting times. Well, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> yeah, what's the story here with this uh, uh, gear up landing thing in Colorado? Um, you can. Well, there's. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was just going to say the headline here, and I don't know if this is your words or the. Are you repeating the headline? It <laughs> describes it as the the perfect crash landing. Well, um, the news story. And this is CBS Denver, uh, Channel 4, apparently, in Denver. Um, the, the headline, <clears throat> um, it all worked, colon, pilot executes perfect crash landing. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I'm not so sure about that. I'm, you know, first of all, happy that everybody um, um, got out okay. Apparently, um, that um, I don't know how much how badly damaged the airplane is. It looks like it uh, uh, took a big hit. Right. Um, yeah, but um, there is video, just so people know. There, there, there is, there is yeah, video there of is, this actual touchdown. And, uh, there is video of the touchdown. There is video and stills of uh, how the airplane came to rest and whatnot. The, the nose gear, for example, is extended out in front of the airplane uh, in one of the stills. Um, uh, it's hard to, I can't tell if, if uh, both props got dang, dinged up, but it looks like they did. Um, basically, uh, a Cessna 310, um, um, one main gear leg would not uh, extend and lock into place. So the... Um, um, object was to make a successful uh, uh, landing. Now, the pilot in this instance apparently extended and left the gear extended, knowing that one of the main gear would collapse. And um, he landed, touched down on the runway. Uh, once the gear collapsed, uh, the airplane uh, veered off the runway and ended up on the grass. Um, and I'm very glad that everybody got out okay. I'm very glad, you know, that we have uh, a video of this also. But I kind of wonder if this was the, the perfect, well, first of all, it wasn't really a crash. This was, a, this was an unavoidable gear-up landing that, you know, that was planned by everybody in the zip code. Um, so I, that, that right away is, is uh, a bad headline for this, which is nothing new. But... Um, at the same time, I kind of wonder if this was uh, executed correctly. If it had been me, I would have retracted the landing gear mm-hmm. and, and completely. And now, presumably, presuming that the gear could, in fact, be retracted, we don't know that at all. Yeah, that's a question. But uh, um, if it had been me, all things being equal, I would have retracted the landing gear. And, and, and one of the things that would have done would have allowed me to probably stay on the runway. Right. You know, I, I got I, I have zero training on this kind of stuff, but I got to wonder if he thought he could keep the two good gear standing so that he would at least be part mm-hmm. of the airplane and stay off the off the pavement. Yeah, uh, I, I suspect that that that's part of his his rationale. I also wonder if, in fact, the gear could be retracted at all. And that's, you know, a mm-hmm. question that I, I don't I don't I have an answer to. Right. Um, I Typically, yeah. the advice for such an event is to, um, A, keep the gear retracted so that there's no loss of control as that gear collapses, as we saw in this episode, uh, and B, to do it on the pavement. The pavement is uniform, it's smooth, uh, yeah, it's harder than the grass, uh, but the grass will bunch up, the grass has is uneven, the grass has ditches in it. Um, um, it's it's preferable to do this um, if you're going to do an intentional gear up landing to do it on pavement. Yeah. I I yeah. Again, I, I have zero training on this kind of stuff. I, I got to figure that he was hoping that he would prevent a prop strike on at least one of his engines. Yeah, that's that's possible. You know. Anyways, David, you're awful quiet. What's going on? Well, he seemed to be concerned about. 
sparks and igniting fuel in the uh, almost empty tanks uh, at, at one of his choices for uh, picking mm-hmm. the grass. And uh, and it's a common it's a common belief that landing on the grass is going to be easier on the airplane than landing on the uh, on asphalt or concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from firsthand experience, they both do damage. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's and uh, the nice thing about landing on the pavement is that it keeps dirt and rocks and debris from uh, getting pushed up into parts of the airplane that do get damaged. So uh, you, you you pay your money, you make your choice, and you live with the results. Uh, exactly. But I'm kind of like Jeb. I probably would have spent more time trying to troubleshoot the problem, retract, reset, uh, and he may have done some of this. It just didn't show up in the story. Right. Uh, he may have tried the emergency extension system, and it didn't show up in the story. But given how much time he spent considering his options and the airports that he chose, eventually going back to a different airport where he, I believe, where he's based, to get it, uh, keep it close to home. Uh, that that's all good thinking. Uh, like when Comanche Sue had her gear problem, and uh, she, which she successfully solved before uh, being forced to land with the gear up. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you got to exhaust all your options, and in, in no way do I want to second guess what this guy did. He may have done all this stuff, yeah. uh, and it didn't show up in the story, but. Yeah, the story. Uh, I'm a little uh, suspicious of the story. Some of the phraseology that they use here suggests a naive understanding of what really happened, and uh, so I'm suspicious of the story. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, for example, the the lead paragraph just kind of bugs me. The lead paragraph says a pilot and his trainee say they're lucky to be alive after putting their plane down. Right. Which is that's just pretty, that's where I get off the. That's where I get off the bus. Yeah, really, it's kind of an alarmist lead, and uh, uh, um, although. These kinds of things can go terribly bad. Um, I wouldn't think that this pilot, who seems to be a pretty experienced pilot, um, I got to figure this pilot knew that they would survive this likely. You know? and, uh, so, um, and then later on, they described the pilot and his co-pilot. All right, there's no co. Anyways, okay. Well, you know, right. I mean, all all in all, good job to. Uh, to yeah, exactly. I I don't I don't mean to imply that I'm second guessing the the pilot here. Um, I'm just saying that if it if it had been me and all things were equal and I still had full control over everything, that I would have done it gear up on the pavement. Yeah, yeah. David Picard is the pilot's name. Good job. Good job. What's next here? I'm losing track here. Let's see. What's next on the list? I'm. You guys got to help me out here. Uh. Part 23. Part 23. I need some education here. Um, So uh, uh, the new Part 23 apparently has sort of really taken hold or come into effect. The headlines are now saying, new Part 23 now in effect. And and I was hoping that you guys would educate me just a touch here. We've talked about this in the past, but the short version, okay? What is Part 23? Part 23 is the the Federal Air Regulation section that Governs certification of light aircraft. 
okay. which has been traditionally air- aircraft up to 12,500 pounds uh, gross weight. And now it's, I believe, under the new Part 23, 19.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, they expanded it to include some airplanes that were in a gray area that had been given special uh, dispensation to certify under 23, even though they weighed more than 12.5. Uh, you know, one of the better known ones, examples of that was the uh, Beach Starship. Uh, and th- th- what's important about this, what we're happy to see at last, is that the, the rewrite moves the process away from, okay, this is a standard that you have to meet, meet it, and meet it in this manner, to right. a performance-based Standard that is, here's the performance goals that we want to see for this particular system or this airplane and its engine and and related hardware, and how you meet it is up to you. You just have to show us that you've met the performance requirements, mm-hmm. which is a whole different ball of wax for the OEMs, and will, in theory, we hope it works out in practice. In theory, we'll keep manufacturers from having to do things like uh, deal with the pressurization requirement regulations in Part 23 on non-pressurized airplanes by going through the engineering data and producing documentation that shows that it's not pressurized. Okay. All right, you know, so the new the new standard is if it's pressurized, it has to meet this standard. If it's not, they don't have to mess with it. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't come up. Uh, I know all the alphabet groups have been working on this for years. We've we've been seeing the benefits of the movement toward performance based certification goals for a couple of years now in the form of some of the uh, experimental avionics that have been shown to meet the performance requirements for certificated avionics and allowed to be uh, these systems to be installed in, uh, in certified airplanes. And uh, that's been to the benefit of a lot of operators that wanted to upgrade their avionics but couldn't afford the stuff that had a TSO, a technical standard order, mm-hmm. uh, to get through the uh, process and meet approval. Uh, and we're going to see more of it. Uh, for example, Dynon right now is, uh, if they haven't completed it already, they're really close to finishing the uh, work that they need to do to demonstrate that their uh, new HDX touchscreen uh, uh, primary flight display system meets the performance standards and they can do that through uh, the the, uh, TSO of course which is lengthy and complicated and expensive but in this case they're doing it through a PMA uh, showing that through the parts manufacturing approval process they are meeting the standard for the uh, TSO stuff and are going to be able to sell it at a much lower price and an easy installation process as they get it STC'd in different airplanes. So this is all good stuff. Yeah. Jeb, what do you think? Uh, all, all of what, what Dave just said. Um, the, uh, I think the thing that's, that's, that's going to be most in, interesting over time, and it will take time, 
for all of this to, to come to fruition. Um, but I think the things that are going to be most interesting are uh, uh, the, the, the ways that uh, uh, not just airframe manufacturers and, and power plant manufacturers can innovate, but the ways in which um, the technologies can be applied to existing airplanes, existing aircraft, I should say. Um, it, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago. He's an IA, and uh, he was working on a paperwork project where um, he's got this is this is a uh, an ST seed uh, product. It's uh, it's like a Teflon tape that's applied to propeller blades to help prevent erosion and, and maybe do something for um, de-icing capability. I don't I don't I don't know the product. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's, you know, there's, okay, it, it's a paperwork thing. So you've got two basic choices. You've got minor alteration or a major alteration. A minor alteration, of course, uh, can be, a, the paperwork for which can be accomplished uh, with a simple logbook entry by a, a certified mechanic. Uh, a major alteration, um, a major alteration could be uh, adding tip tanks to my debonair, for example. A major alteration uh, requires a 337, a form 337 to be completed and sent to the FAA along with a logbook entry. And he's got this this tape, basically, this Teflon tape that he's uh, applying to a propeller blade for a client. And he's sitting there with the paperwork and he's got the paperwork and, and the this tape is STC. The application of this tape has an STC mm-hmm. dated like 96 or something, 1996. Okay. And, he, and he's reading the STC, and the STC basically says that an STC is not required. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we peel the onion on this a little bit, and we're talking on the phone, and he says, wait a second. He says, all right, this, was, this STC was created in 1996, and then it was renewed, or, or no, it was revised, in 2003, okay. and the text of the STC now reads, after the revision, that the STC is not required. And we both started laughing. And said, well, I said, you know, the FAA was kind of anal back in the, in the 90s about things like this. Um, but so apparently some, some wiser heads have prevailed. And in, in revising this STC, they, or, or someone at the FAA decided that uh, an STC for uh, Teflon tape on your prop blades was no longer either necessary nor appropriate. So they revised the STC you c- in part because it's already there and you can't just like revoke the STC because there's X number of airplanes out there already flying oh, under okay. this STC. Yeah, all right. Okay, and this, this, then it starts to get a little bit hinky. All right? Yeah. So they revise the STC to say that an STC is not necessary, which combi- which combines everything that you ever wanted to know about FAA certifi- uh, airframe <laughs> and, air- and power plant certification. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that... Um, part 23 tries to get us away from. Okay. Two questions. Um, first of all, and I, I don't know, I hope I can ask this in a, in a comprehensive, a comprehensible, uh, understandable way. Um, so new, we have a new part 23 now. All right. That does the things that you guys have just described. All right. 
Do do the old standards still exist? Could one create a product for an airplane that com- that that complied and in fact crowed about complying with the old standards? Or are the old standards now gone and everything is going to be the new? Uh, everything goes to the new standard. Everything. everything. <sighs> that's that's an interesting question. Um, the first answer is everything flying right now is already certificated under the old standards. Yep. Yes, of course. Yes. Okay. So if down the road someone wanted to use the old standard as a marketing um, device, as a marketing ploy, maybe is a better word, mm-hmm. um, they've already got a built-in uh, um, avenue to do that. Um, to my way of thinking, I know, I'm not sure that that's a, a valuable marketing strategy um, uh, because the Part 23 revisions have been so hyped um, by the industry, and not, not, not to mention us, mm-hmm. uh, that the, the consumer, the aviation consumer today is going to think uh, old Part 23 bad, new Part 23 good. Yeah. Um, now, now one another another answer to that is um, let's look at um, let's look up look look at backup art, artificial horizons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, um, recently, Garmin, Dynan, maybe another manufacturer or two have secured from the FAA approvals to install um, non-TSO'd um, artificial horizons, basically glass uh, products, uh, um, into certificated airplanes. Now, this is kind of a sea change for the FAA and, and, and the industry generally. Um, heretofore, you needed um, a TSO'd instrument or at least uh, a wink and a nod from a FISDO to do this and the instrument was for day VFR use or VFR use only. It was not legal to use even as a backup mm-hmm. uh, I and mean, in real instrument conditions. Now, going back however many years it's been, um, as a backup to my vacuum-driven artificial horizon, I installed an electric artificial horizon, a mechanical one. And it was done, it's a TSO'd product. It was done with a 337. And yada yada yada. Uh, again, many many years ago, um, is that product, is that device superior to, say, the the, the Garmin G5? I would answer no, because a it's mechanical, and b it's a one trick pony. It's only an artificial horizon. It doesn't have. Uh, the ability to to connect to anything else in the panel, it, except power. It doesn't uh, um, um, have a backup battery. I think the G5 does, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it, it's certificated, it's certified, it's approved under the old rules, but is it a better device? Probably not. Yeah. Well, it sort of leads me to my... Se- I'm sorry, David, you want to add something to that? Well... When we still had Air Comanche, and we were doing some upgrade work to it, one of the things that came up was when I was shopping for 
uh, new uh, anti-collision lighting system. Yeah. Uh, my goal was to have something that lit both wingtips and two places on the tail cone, one above the stabilator, one below the stabilator, because the stabilator extended beyond the uh, uh, light positions, mm-hmm. so it could block somebody from seeing the one from above or below, depending on their angle of view. Sure, yep. And and I kept having this discussion with a, a guy from one of the more prominent lighting companies about what I wanted to do, and he kept telling me, I didn't have to do that because I only had to meet the requirements of CAR 3 right. and the lighting requirements in, uh, in the, the FAA had right. that spell out if the airplane was built between these years and these years, this is what's acceptable. And later, this is what's acceptable. It's a different thing. And I kept saying, I don't care that, that I'm exceeding the minimum. I want to exceed the minimum. Mm-hmm. It's approved for the airplane uh, because it was approved for Part 23 and its predecessors. So what's the problem? Sell me the bloody package. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which eventually uh, I, I bought from a different vendor just because of that argument. So we're allowed people can upgrade their airplanes to where they exceed the requirements. But if the airplane was built under CAR 3, which was the predecessor to CAR 23, that's the only standard that they have to to meet to keep it legal. If it was, uh, unless something specific about that system came along later that superseded CAR 3 specifically, if it was built under Part 23, Part 23 is what it has to meet. Right. Now the new airplanes coming out that will be certificated under this new standard, uh, I don't know why anybody would want to go the old route when it's going to be more complicated, more expensive. And limit your options because of the way the the uh, rule was written and added to over the years to compound problems. Yeah, see, uh, the new rule is supposed to make it simpler and easier and uh, simplify the process of demonstrating to the FAA that everything meets the standard. Right. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as 10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. Um, have you seen this video of these two water bombers? Uh, this is just like a, you know, it just goes to show you everything's being videoed now. And uh, I mean, a la the, uh, the uh, twin uh, gear up land or, or partial gear failure landing um, that we talked about a minute ago. Um, so now we've got video here of a pair of, uh, of these, uh, what are they, Canadair CL415 water bombers. Um, this is, they're operating in France, apparently. 
And uh, these are the uh, water bombers that can reload their, refill the water, um, um, you know, supply in the aircraft by skimming across the water of a, of a body of water. And, and we've got video here of a pair of them skimming across the water. Um, and, uh, and the second of the two clipping uh, uh, what that was described as a mask. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Isn't that something, huh? Yeah. So, I, I, you know, it, it, the, the, the person shooting the video, I'm not looking at it this minute, but I, I, look, I watched it just a few minutes ago. Um, the person shooting the video is apparently standing either on just on shore or actually on a barge that was um, wherever it was. And uh, within maybe 20, 30 feet of this mast or this pole that was sticking up from the barge, uh, and I get that from the description, um, and the two water bombers were doing their skim to collect, to refill their tanks. Uh, the first of them, the, which is to say the one that was ahead, was, was leading, was further out onto the body of water from this, from this barge, and it flew by uneventfully. The second one was following and closer to shore such that the wingtip of the water bomber literally um, um, decapitated, if you will, this mast um, right in front of the camera operator. I mean, it's like, yikes. And, well, and uh, it, if, if you watch the very first two seconds of the video, yeah, you can see both water bombers uh, touching down or just starting to skim. And the second water bomber was actually directly in trail of the first. And when the first one touched, the spray that it sent up behind it oh. prompted the second one to crab a little bit to the left of the first one. Okay. And that, right. put it, that put it in the direct collision course with the, uh, the mass of that barge. Uh, just... Not good situational awareness. I, you know, and again, I mean, and and you know, we always talk about not liking to second guess a pilot's choices, but um, I, I, the idea of these guys refilling these tanks in for, basically in formation um, strikes me as being, and obviously it turned out to be not the best choice they could have made. Um, it gets better because if you roll this video all the way back to like uh, minute zero, there's yeah. a third. Water bomb. Oh, I didn't see that. It's turning final behind them. Wow. Yeah. It's just crazy. That, and and uh, amazingly, this didn't take off the wingtip, apparently. This, uh, apparently, the water bomber was able to fly and went and landed at some nearby airport or, or landed someplace nearby, is, is what I read. Does it, what exactly does it say? You guys apparently have it open in front of you. It says something like about what, uh, so what the, it did the, next. The, Let's see. The wing of the firefighting plane is damaged. It will be unavailable for several weeks. You think? Um, <laughs> you think? Yeah, um, I had, had to put a mark. <laughs> yeah, I, I, some of this I don't understand from the translation, but they are. Um, um, the, the pilots knew the stretch of water. Um, they managed to fly up to their base. The pilot and co-pilot are shocked, but they're they're also suspended. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and are going to be examined by a specialized doctor who will make sure they have the capacity to fly again. Um, I don't know what specialized doctor is. I suspect, uh, um, I don't know what that means, but, uh, yo, dude, I know. Um, that's a bit much. Yeah. Um, um, I think maybe, uh, 
we should space these out by about a quarter mile or so. I don't know why they didn't tray. one at a time, yeah. but yeah, they were, yeah, they were it's really little, close. So uh, take a look at this video. I guess it's uh, how to find it. I mean, the, the headline here is CL415 clips amassed while scooping water in we'll, France. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll definitely know. put a link in the show notes, but if anybody wants to try and track it down. And, and the, the website we're looking at is fireaviation.com. Um, and uh, so, uh, wow, yikes. Anyways, this was in France, by the way. Yeah, France. So, I don't know, this insert bad joke here. Um, no, there's no bad joke. This this was not Oregon or California, for yeah, example. Right. Yeah, this was yeah. in France. So, so uh, uh, shout outs. What do we got here? Uh, I'm going to go first while you guys think, because there's nothing on the list hardly to speak of. Um, and that is, I, I, I just, I, I kind of want to tease something. I, and we've been doing this for some time now, for, for about six months now, maybe more. Actually, it's getting on almost a year. Um, we have had a program where uh, Patreon supporters of this podcast who support us at the $3 per episode level or higher uh, get exclusive access, or at least uh, for a while, uh, exclusive access to uh, what we call the after show. Uh, which is about 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes of uh, conversation that we continue to uh, do after we finish recording the regular podcast. And uh, we've been doing that for a while now, and, uh, and our, our uh, reward-level patrons have been getting these, uh, these after-show podcasts. Um, and I just wanted to kind of like, um, I, you know, just kind of call attention to some of the cool things that, that we're talking about in these, these, uh, these after-shows. For example, in the last episode's after-show, uh, we talked for a few minutes about uh, the uh, taxiway collision at JFK, which was uh, a thing that happened had happened just prior to uh, that episode being recorded, and then we also spoke for a little bit about looking forward to episode uh, UCAP episode 500, uh, which was kind of a fun exercise, although it's still ways off in the future. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but uh, these are some of the things that you are missing out if you are not a Patreon supporter at the rewards level, and uh, and so uh, uh, we we urge you to uh, consider that if it's something that's within your your uh, your, your the, the, the limits of your resources. Um, a lot of interesting things are happening um, in the UCAP after show. What else? Shout outs, David, Jeb. Um, yeah, real, real quick, uh, talking about hurricanes and such uh, earlier. Um, Delta uh, serves San Juan, Puerto Rico from JFK, among other uh, um, destinations, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yesterday, Prior to um, um, Hurricane Irma uh, coming uh, coming ashore or, or drastically affecting uh, San Juan, Delta launched one of its 737s from from New York, uh, Delta Flight 302, um, trying to get into San Juan and I think more importantly getting out uh, of San Juan. There's a whole thread on on Twitter of a guy. I think he might have been on one of these flights, or or might have even been crew um, on one of these flights on this particular uh, flight, Delta 302. Um, but there's a whole uh, thread on Twitter of uh, basically consisting of flight 24 screenshots, uh, flight tracking screenshots, um, with the radar turned on, um, showing uh, how the how the flight got in there, spent like. 52 minutes or something like that total on the ground and bugged out, climbed out between rings of the hurricane. Uh, 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 bands, I should say, bands, of, of the really? hurricane. Okay. Yeah, uh, steaming into San Juan. 
Um, and uh, I just thought that was one of the coolest things I've seen recently. Um, not that Delta is putting uh, its passengers or its airplane in, in, in harm's way or anything like that. Mm-hmm. This was, uh, I think, uh, pretty much a, a, a master's level, a, a doctorate level course in how to do how to perform a mission hmm. and uh and uh, uh do so um in advance of, you know do so in, in the face of potentially very uh, very severe odds yeah. uh every everybody the crew um their weather department their flight uh, uh their dispatch people people on the granite san juan uh everybody worked and had a piece of this and it's just a, i think a very cool thing I would suggest to you that there were very few passengers on the flight into San Juan, and the flight out was full. I bet. I bet. So that's yeah, that's, that's the punchline. Yeah. David, what do you got? A little shout-out to uh, a UCAP listener and uh, a Twitter friend from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, Sam Wiltsius, and his buddy Jordan, who uh, dropped into Wichita over the Labor Day weekend, and we were able to... Uh, get together at one of my favorite watering holes, the aviation-themed uh, brew pub called Aeroplanes Brewing, and uh, shared a couple of uh, adult beverages, and uh, they got the uh, dollar tour instead of the nickel tour of the whole brewing operation, and uh, uh, seemed to be having a good time. They were visiting the Kansas Aviation Museum. They were headed off to the Kansas Cosmosphere the next day. So thanks for uh cluing me in and including me in your trip. I had a good time, guys. Hope it was an easy trip home. Yeah. Yeah. That must have been fun. I, I, it's, uh, I, I, you guys, I don't know. I mean, and I do, we haven't done it as often as we used to. We used to do it a lot up here in, in, in uh, New Hampshire with the uh, UCAP meetups over at uh, Nashua, the restaurant at Nashua Airport. We haven't done it as often as we used to, but uh, they're always a lot of fun. And uh, I, I urge you guys to think about doing these as, you know, on your own. Just kind of put out the word and say, I'm having breakfast at, you know, Venice or, you know, wherever. And, uh, Come on by, have breakfast with me. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun to meet with folks. And uh, yeah, anything else, Jeb? Um, I, my shout out would be something to uh, sort of sort of repeat or echo or, or reinforce something that David mentioned early on when we were talking about the hurricane situation. And that is just shout out to all of our friends and listeners, um, both in uh, Florida and Texas, where they're still yes. recovering. Um, uh, those of you in Florida and up the East Coast, uh, please, please be safe. Be careful. Uh, take care of yourselves. Uh, find a safe place to hunker down and 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 you know assume the worst. This is looks like a big deal. And yeah, if you're if you're listening to us from from the Houston area, um, uh, best of luck to y'all. I, the, the, some of the stuff uh, I've seen anyway from from that arena from uh, uh, that hurricane is just, has just been uh, horrific. Yeah, mind boggling. I just cannot uh, just cannot imagine. Yeah. Just cannot conceive yeah. of having to live through that and then try to pick up the pieces from that. Yeah. Um, you know, knock wood, uh, I won't have to do that, but, uh, right. um, you know, well, they're suggesting a that, couple of weeks. right. They're suggesting that Irma will be bad, but in a different way. Um, they're saying that because Irma is moving faster, the rainfall totals will not be as drastic. That's, um, that's basically correct. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. But that's not to say that the wind isn't going to blow and it isn't going to rain pretty hard for a while. So anyways, mm-hmm. to everyone, we wish you well. We're, you're in our thoughts. Um, and uh, uh, please be careful. And uh, uh, we look forward to hearing um, uh, about how you've safely weathered the whole thing after it's all over. 
let me let me throw one last little quick shout out here. Yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Aaron Connor, Miss Vermont. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. She's competing in the Miss America competition. Yes, and she flew herself from Vermont to Atlantic City for the pageant in a Piper Arrow. Well, there you go. Yeah, dressed in uh, her grandfather's uh, part of her grandfather's World War II uniform, uh, with aviator shades on. She would brought two people along with her, and according to the uh, according to the pageant folks, this is the first time in their knowledge that a contestant in the Miss America competition has flown herself to the uh, to the event, and I just. Boy, talk about making an entrance. Uh, yeah. Hats off to Miss Vermont Aaron Connor for uh, showing that uh, life doesn't have to be, uh, transport doesn't have to be by human mailing tube. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, that's that is true. This is now. This is the first time I've had any interest at all in the Miss America pageant in forever. Um, but that's uh, pretty cool. It is Vermont. It would, you know, I mean. Hopefully, Miss. It's your next door neighbor. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, Miss New Hampshire also flew herself to Atlantic City, but I, I'm guessing no. Um, you know, anyway, that's a great story, David. Thank you. That's a great story, Aaron. Well, well Aaron, Aaron learned to fly uh, young. She got her license at age 16 uh-huh. uh, through a program at the Vermont Flight Academy, and that was before she had her driver's license. So, uh, sounds like the young lady is uh, uh, starting off right. Very very cool. Where where is the uh, Vermont flight? What was the what airport is that? Do you know? Does it say there? I do not know. Okay. It doesn't say. Oh, have to Give me a it. moment. Jeb's Jeb's our researcher here. Apparently, I'm the only one who knows how to use the Google. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Burlington, South South Burlington. South Burlington. Okay. All right. Yeah. One of my brothers lives up that way, so I was curious where where it all is. Well, that's great. That's a great. That's a great bit. Thank you. Uh, congratulations and good luck to Aaron Connor in the. Uh, in Miss America, which are words that I don't think I've ever spoken, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well. Yeah, okay, so this is going to be a thing. Next year, we're going to have to also find our favorite for uh, Miss America. It's a new new UCAP thing. Um, Fork time. time. Stick it. Fork time. David, uh, uh, David, uh, not David, Jeb. Jeb is, uh, oh gosh. (laughs) You know, it started out badly, it got better, now it's going to go downhill. Wasabi! Yeah, that's right. Uh, Jeb Burnside, Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on, other than preparing Um, for rain? Other than preparing for wind and rain, um, as I say, the October issue of Safety is in the can. Um, Lead article uh, is uh, something I did on Touch and Goes. Curious little thing. Um, touch and goes are defined by the FAA in, in both the uh, AIM and the Pilot Controller Glossary, but there's really no guidance on them in, mm-hmm. say, the, uh, the Airplane Flying Handbook or, or some other uh, uh, handbooks and whatnot from the FAA. Uh-huh. So uh, um, now we do have some formal guidance, and you'll have to pick up a copy of Aviation Safety uh, Magazine cool. to read Very cool. Where can people find out about this and other things that you are involved with on the internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Um, I'm also on the Twitter machine as Burnside J. 
There are occasions where I will pop up in, uh, in various other websites, like generalaviationnews.com, uh, aea.net for the Aircraft Electronics Association, uh, and possibly even uh, AIN Online, which is Aviation International News. And Dave Higdon. Dave is a uh, aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. Dave, what have you been working on? Well, I've got uh, a couple of pieces that uh, in this month's Avionics News magazine that uh, folks might find interesting. Uh, one of them's under the headline, Straightening Up to Fly Right, uh, and that does uh, an early snapshot of Garmin's two new uh, Part 23 GA autopilots, uh, the GFC 500, which I flew for the story, and uh, the GFC 600, which is uh, aimed at more upscale uh, twins and uh, light, uh, light turbo uh, turboprops. And the second story is a... Uh, uh, called Surprise, Surprise, and it's a uh, review of all the avionics stories that we could find out of Oshkosh this year, all in one place. Very so, cool. Very cool. And uh, did I ask you this already? Where can you find people, people find you on the Internet? Well, uh, for the avionics news stories, you can start by going to aea.net. Uh, I'm also a weekly blogger for Av Buyer magazine, and that's avbuyer.com. Uh, Real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and uh, uh, I get around. That's right. Okay. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, you can find a lot of the things I'm working on these days uh, at, uh, at on Amazon. My ebooks, uh, particularly my Around the Field ebooks, can be found if you just search for Around the Field in the books section of Amazon.com. Uh, on Twitter, I am uh, Jack Hodgson. Also on YouTube, my YouTube channel is uh, just Jack Hodgson. Or no, Jack Hodgson, not just Jack Hodgson, which is a will and grace call out right there. Um, you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at my website, jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums uh, for this podcast. Uh, please support UCAP by making a repeating per episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. Uh, if you are uh, over the rewards level, you also get access to the uh, UCAP after show, which is a lot of fun. You can get all the details about all of this at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. While you're at it, go into iTunes and give us a review uh, and, uh, and some thumbs up over there. It really helps get the word out about the podcast you can follow the podcast on twitter at uh, twitter.com slash class g airspace that's all one word class the letter g and airspace uh, you never know what might turn up over there you can listen to ucap in the free section of sporty's pilot shops mobile app takeoff along with other podcasts and special sporty's content get your ucap hats shirts and other cool gear at the ucap swag shop at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store and don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. 11 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something. Yeah, reaching old age is easy when you fly because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Everybody be safe out there with these hurricanes. Thanks. Thanks.